0: morning. Uh, You ever just have crazy mornings, you know, like when all the computers freeze up and everything fails and things burn up, you know, just sometimes you have those mornings and uh, that's one of those mornings. And so I'm glad you're here. Hey, um, uh, if you were here last week, Zach Halligan uh, preached last week and uh, I'm so grateful that he did. If if you know Zach, he's not here. He was here during first service, but he's not here during this service. But if you know Zach, um, hit him up. Uh, I would say hit him up on Facebook, but the dude barely has a phone. So there's no way he has Facebook. Um, but like, find him and, and tell him thank you. Or if you see him in the lobby sometime, tell him thank you. Um, I'm so grateful that there are so many people who are willing to get up here and and preach. Uh, it's no small task. And so I'm grateful for them. Last week, me and a small team, I would have had um, some pictures for you, but you know when everything fails, uh, pictures are one of those things that go away. Uh, last week, a small group of us was able to be at our sister church in Salamanca to sell, whoa, there we go, now it's getting dark again. It's just going to be one of those mornings. Uh, and if you join us online, like this is awesome because now you can't see me at all. Um, uh, so um, we were able to go to uh, our sister church in Salamanca. It's a small little community. Uh, most people have never heard of. There's only about 350,000 people that live there. And um it's really central uh, Mexico. And we were there because the pastor and his wife were celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary, and we celebrated with them with the vow renewal. And so um, it was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And, and we just got lucky and missed the snow delays on both ends. We left right after the snow last week, and then we got home right before the snow this week. So we were, we were good. Hey, um, we are working through the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews. I would normally tell you that it'd be right here. Um, but you know, it's not going to be, so it won't be there. Um, Hebrews 1 is where we're going to be, and, and let me read to you a, a little bit of where we ended uh, two weeks ago. It says this, Hebrews 1, uh, verse 7, the angels, he says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Who makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, um, we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, the opening of the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to contend with us that Jesus is better than everything, right? Anything we can imagine. And and it's going to get more and more consequential. He's going to talk about Jesus is better than the law. He's going to talk about that Jesus is better than Moses. He's going to talk about that Jesus is better than the sacrificial system, that he's better than the priesthood. But he begins with this claim that Jesus is better than the angels, now, that may seem very self-evident to us, and that might not be very significant to us, um, but in first century Judaism, they developed this idea that any time a message had come from God, any time God spoke, that had been delivered by angels, that they were the messengers bringing the word of God. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is a better messenger now, you may not even get that as you read this passage, right? When you, read, um, when you read Hebrews 1, and it says, you know, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers flame to fire. You might think, right, like, wind is powerful, and fire is consuming. I remember hearing a comedian uh, talk about a guy who lived in Florida, um, a little fun little thing you can do. You can go home and uh, uh, just type in Google Florida man and then put your birth date and it'll come up with a ridiculous story about something that someone in Florida did that was really dumb and, and it's just a fun thing. But he was telling the story about a Florida man who was like 74, 76 years old and he wanted to prove, I don't know who he's proving to, but he wanted to prove what great shape he was in, Right? He'd talk about how he would do hundreds of sit-ups a day, and he'd do hundreds of push-ups a day, and so he wanted to prove what great shape he was. So um, there was a hurricane coming, and instead of leaving or boarding up his house, okay, he tied himself to a tree. And and what he told reporters was he was going to prove what great shape he was, that he could endure the strength of the wind. As the comedian says, he says, the problem in a hurricane is not the wind. It doesn't matter how many push-ups you do when a Volkswagen hits you, right? The problem isn't the wind, it's the things that fly in the wind. And we might think like, oh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the angel is they're as mighty as wind. But if you read um, the actual quote that it comes from the Old Testament, it's actually talking about the finiteness of the angels. That angels are just like, wind that just, as soon as it blows, is gone, and like, like a little flame, and just a little of breath extinguishes the flame. He's talking about the finiteness, the smallness, and in contrast, look at what it says in verse 8, if you have a Bible, it says this, but the su- of the sun, he says, this is Jesus, right? The angels are like wind that just disappears in a moment, like a flame that can be Whiffed out or snuffed out so easily, he says this, your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. Your throne is without end. It's for all time. But angels can be snuffed out in a moment, but the throne, and you know who sits on thrones? Kings. Your kingdom, your dominion, your reign, your rule, your might, your sovereignty is without and and then it says this. The end of verse eight and the beginning of verse nine is really where I want to sit today. It says this. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom, and you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And you see, there's a word that in the English language appears twice, or at least the idea of a word that appears twice, it's this word righteous. The first one it says, and the righteous scepter. Now now for a judge, uh, for for ancient Near Eastern culture, the king would hold a scepter, and it was kind of like um, a judge's mallet, right? That when he was going to make a declaration, he would uphold his scepter as a symbol of his power and his sovereignty to make a judgment. I um, used to have In all the shifting rounds, I haven't been able to find it. I even tried again this morning to go try and find it, but I used to have this rod. It was about this long, and it was all wrapped in beads, really finely wrapped in beads, and it had a ball at the end of it. And it was a gift from one of our missionaries. It was a replica of the staff, the stick, that a tribal leader in a certain part of Africa would hold when they were making judgments. And they would hold this little uh, 14, 16-inch thing, and they would hold it over the people, And they would declare their judgment. Right? And this is what he's talking about. That Jesus' judgment, that his judgment over a thing is is righteous now Now the word here in the two verses it says righteous twice or righteous and righteousness depending on your translation but they're actually two different Greek words and and they're they're similar related it's great translation um, but they have a little bit different nuance the first one the one we're looking at with scepter literally means upright right it's the idea of true or plumb or right Right? That, is, that his judgment is true. It's upright. It's plumb. It's always perfect. That his righteousness, that his judgment is always perfect. That the judgment of his kingdom, that his rule over his kingdom is always right and always good. It says this in verse 9. You have loved righteousness. You have loved Righteousness. Now, um, one, of the, one of the thin places maybe in our 21st century American Christianity is, um, is our understanding of righteousness. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to camp. I grew up going to conferences. I went to Bible college. And I bet if you spent much time in the church, when you see the word righteousness, right? And some of you may even have some like bad church experience where like you feel a little bit of discomfort when you see that word. Because what you maybe hear when I read it most of the time, here's what I hear you have loved being moral. That for many of us, we have cheapened what biblical righteousness is is just to being moral, nice people. And here's, here's the bummer, here's the bummer. In that, we lose the beauty and the mystery and the complexity of all of what this claim is. You have loved righteousness. Uh, the word um, for love, you probably know it if you spend much time around church, there's a couple different words for love. It's, it's, it, the root word is agape. It's a perfect, holy, godly love. It, it's a rejoicing. It's a celebrating in the thing for the sake of the thing. It's not exploitative. It's not for my own gain. It's not simply for my pleasure. It's in rejoicing that the thing is a thing is agape love. You have Loved this thing that it says is righteousness. I want to read a verse in Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 5. I want to read to you the verse because I want to try and help us understand what it means, the thing that Jesus loves in righteousness, that's bigger than being a moral person. One of the great ways that we misunderstand what it means to be a follower of Jesus is when we begin to believe that being a follower of Jesus is about being a moral person. That the end result of what Jesus did is just that like we don't cuss, we don't yell at people, we're not mean, and we don't defraud people. Right? But righteousness is so much Bigger. It says this, right? I'm going to read you this verse. You're probably going to go, Sean, I don't understand what that has anything to do with righteousness. And my hope is that as we talk it out, we can come back to the Hebrews passage, and you can see the grandeur of this beauty of this thing that it says Jesus loves. It says this, Revelation 21, verse 5. He who sits on the throne, right? That's Jesus, and there's this throne again, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, Jesus on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever Revelation, we're right at the end of Revelation. It says, and then he sits on the throne, said, behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. In the Greek language, there's a couple different words that we could translate in English as new. One of them is um, new in origin, right? Like it didn't exist before. And now it's there. It's new, right? Apple releases a new iPhone. It didn't exist before. Now it's there, right? That's that's the way we think of it most of the time. And a lot of us have come to read passages like this and I think, this, just personally, this is my opinion, personally misunderstood what the end times is going to look like because we've begun to misread, to believe that when it says, I'm making all things new, that like God is going to take all that exists and put it in the garbage disposal and a trash compactor and send it off and then he's going to go buy a new heaven and a new earth at Best Buy just like buying a new model of an iPhone, right? But that's not actually the Greek word that's there. The Greek word is not new in origin. It's new in nature. They're distinctly different Greek words. New in nature. It's like this. Here's how we use this in English. Um, uh, You know, maybe you or someone in your family or, you know, you knew someone. And and, uh, like in the 60s or 70s, they bought a beautiful car. Like a beautiful, what we would call now a classic, right? And maybe there was a time where there was a car show and this car was getting revealed and they drove it up onto a stage and it sat on one of those um, little, you know, rotating things and it just slowly spun in front of you. And, and you, maybe you're old enough to have remembered when that car came out and you saw it on the stage and you're like, oh, oh, oh it's so pretty, right? And you went, look, at, look, at, look, look, the window's... You remember this, right? So I went like this, and someone said, you're doing it the wrong direction. I said, windows went up and down, they go both ways, right? You remember? And you watch the car, and you're like, oh, it's so many Intermittent wipers. The technology. The world we live in, right? Amazing. You're like, it's a beautiful car. And someone took that car home, they drove it, they loved it, and they waxed it, and they took care of it. But in time, what happens to the car? The paint begins to fade and ship. The, the interior begins to crack. Things begin to rust. The engine doesn't run quite as efficiently as it used to. And so, what do we do with that car? You restore it. Or maybe here's another word you renew it. You make the thing new again. That's the word here in the Book of Revelation: is to renew, is to make it new again, new in nature. So, so here, look, look, look at this. This is what it says. It says Jesus is sitting on the throne, and what he says is he declares, "I am making all things. I am restoring. I am renewing all things." The result of renewal is righteousness. The result of God renewing or restoring something is righteousness because biblically, righteousness is not morality. Yes, being moral is righteous, but righteousness is broader than morality. Righteousness is when a thing is in right relation with the divine creator. So here, here's, here's an example, okay? Um, cancer. Cancer is amoral. You know what I mean, right? Like, can't, no, nobody's like, um, you know what? I just, I don't like God. I, I don't, I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to follow him. I don't want anything to do with God. You know what I want? I'm going to go out this weekend. I'm going to get myself some cancer, right? Nobody, nobody says that. But what the Bible teaches us is that things like cancer, death, decay, destruction, disease, brokenness, are all the result of this world being in a broken relationship with God. That when death entered in, it affected everything. And it caused all these places in our world, in our life, where there is Unrighteousness, where there are things that are not in right relationship with God. And what Jesus is gonna do in the end, Revelation assures us that at the very end, in all completion, he is going to make everything right, he's gonna make everything new, he's gonna put everything back. In fact, in the Revelation, one of the things that it says right in this whole passage is says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eye. He will wipe away even the lament that comes from the pain of the broken things of this world. That Jesus is making all things right. The result of renewal is righteousness is setting in order and in place things that were fractured and broken and putting them back into right relationship with God that is what righteousness is it's not just your moral adherence to an ethical law it's putting all things in order of the way God designed them to be now look again look at look at what it says here Hebrews 1 Verse nine: You have loved righteousness. You've loved right. This is this is what Jesus loves doing. This is the character of the God that we worship. That He loves taking things that are broken and making them right. He loves taking things that are fractured and dark and messed up and drawing those things together and healing and redeeming those things. It is no burden to Jesus to take the busted and broken parts of your life and to stitch them back together. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it is what he loves doing is making things right. In fact, that's why he came, so that he might redeem and restore all that is broken and so what does it mean for us it means it means that what god wants for you is not burdensome what god wants for you is not deprivation, what God wants for you. Now, it may be uncomfortable for a season. The writer of Hebrews actually says that God, like a good father, will discipline you. That for a moment, for a season, there may be things in your life that feel uncomfortable, but God is not a God who's trying to rob you of joy and life. When he calls you to something, and the way you, the way you show grace to one another, when he calls you to something in the, in the way that you receive grace, in the way that you have to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. When he calls you to the way to interact with one another and to show mercy and kindness and generosity and goodness. When he calls you to a way to live with your body and with the things that you possess. It is not because God's trying to rob you. In fact, it's because God's trying to restore and invite you into right living that will bring fullness of goodness and life. Jesus said himself, he says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. The kind of life that was experienced in the garden where there was goodness and joy and perfection and right righteousness in his Creation. So it means that if there's a place of brokenness and dark and pain and, and, and rejection and sinfulness and rebellion in your heart, God is not burdened or, or shocked, but it is his joy when we come before him and we allow the spirit to work in us and to create righteousness in us, to create right living in us, to create a right heart and a right posture in us. What else does it mean for us? Well, it means this, that if what Jesus is about is making all things new, that if we are going to be his people, if we are going to pray the words that he tells us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that that your kingdom, that it may be in right living on earth, that we might be in right relationship with you here in this world as things are in heaven, that means that we are going to be people who are going to enter into a broken, messed up, ugly, dark world and seek to bring rightness to it, to seek to bring wholeness to it, It looks like um, five or six years ago, this group of pastors were sitting at Yang's having some lunch there, and it came up. I don't know if you've been around here long enough. You may remember the story. Maybe you don't. It came up that um, just that week before, a man had died while sleeping in his car in the old Roths parking lot. I guess now I can call it the Grocery Outlet parking lot. In the Grocery Outlet parking lot, He died while sleeping in his car. And there were a lot of complications, there were a lot of things that led to him ending up dying in his car, but not the least of them was the fact that it had been like 22 degrees that night. And we we sat around and we just were astounded, right? Because the way our brains work, we, we we could justify that there are people who are homeless that die in Portland, right? All of us could, if you heard the news that someone died in Portland, you go, oh, that's that's sad, you know, but there are a lot of homeless people in Portland, and sometimes it's hard for them to get resources, and sometimes they're in hard places and all that kind of stuff. Or Seattle or San Francisco or L.A. You could, if you heard, it, you'd go, oh, that's sad, but it wouldn't be that surprising. But in Monmouth, right, for the, in Independence, for there to be a person who died in no small part because they didn't have a warm place to sleep at night. And we thought, this is absurd, right? It's crazy to think that any image bearer of God would freeze to death outside. We started to talk and we thought, well, you know, what can we, how can we be a part of bringing the kingdom of God here? And we thought, well, we have these you know, buildings, they sit empty at night. Why don't we try and see if we can get, and we started talking to some people. We end up meeting with the county, and we started talking with the county about trying to get, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that, no, that on our watch, in our community, nobody else ever again freezes to death outside? So we started having conversations, and we met with this really great guy. I don't know if you know him. The guy named Brent Demoe He's a rock star. If you, ever, if you ever see him or you know him, you should tell him he's awesome and that Sean loves him because he is an incredible guy who's done a lot for our community. And, and, and he said, you know, hey, the county, we got resources, we'll help however we can. Um, actually, we had this one meeting, we were communicating out, you know, kind of our plans and our strategies, and I, I won't use names because um, I don't want to throw anyone by the bus, but there was a government official in our community um, who said to us, they, they, they said, I still have the email. Just, you know, sometimes I like to keep hate mail because it just reminds me of the good times. And they said they sent an email and they said, if you house anyone for a single night, I will make sure that every applicable fine Goes to you personally. So we thought, well, we should probably talk with them. We sat down in a meeting. We had a bunch of other government officials there, and it was another follower of Jesus in the police chief in independence, um, who, who it came up, and the person said, You know, you can't do this, it's illegal, you blah 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 blah. Right? That's not what their voice sounded like, but that's what it sounded like to me. And and the police chief of independence, another believer, he said this. He said, he said um, he said, uh, I will not waste a single single taxpayer dollar sending a deputy to go get people in trouble for housing people who don't have somewhere to sleep on a cold night, right? It looks like being uncomfortable in uncomfortable situations in broken and busted places in our world, being the hands and feet of God that step in to bring things a little bit closer to the way God intended them to be. Today, five or six years later, there's this thing called the Polk County Warming Center. They happen every year. They're going on right now. And they're housed almost exclusively in churches or faith or like the gate or faith kind of places. Hosted by a bunch of believers who are committed to seeing the kingdom of God come to our community in every ounce of effort we have, making things a little bit more right and pushing out a little bit more of the brokenness and darkness. It looks like it looks like why we do back to school baths and the diapers and wipes drive, and it's why the gate exists and why young life exists. Because our king is a king who loves casting out darkness and bringing wholeness and life to a busted and broken world. And if we are going to be his followers, we don't, we don't get to decide, we must do the same our king does. If we are going to be under his rule and his, and his sovereignty, then we will be people who rejoice in the incoming of renewal, of making things right. There's an old um, rabbinic proverb, and it it says this, uh, this is my paraphrase, but it basically says um, that the the life of a God-fearer is one that exists in replanting the trees of the Garden of Eden. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Church, that's what we get to be a part of is joining with our God who is right now in this moment renewing and restoring places and things that are broken. Now, yes, we won't see it all on this side of heaven. We won't see it all before the consummation of all things. But we get to join with God in bringing things that are broken and decaying and dead and destructive to right relationship and life and healing and hope and goodness. Bringing back this world to a place that looks a lot more like the Garden of Eden. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, there's this last little note on the end of nine. I, I want to end with this. As we, as we go into a, a, a time of singing... There probably won't be words on the screen unless some miraculous thing happened. And so maybe you won't know the words and it'll be a little awkward for you. But, oh, you know, uh, You know, maybe you don't really like to sing anyways, but maybe in this moment you can just sit or you can stand and you can ask God to open your mind and open your heart and to soften your heart in the places that you've become frustrated and angry and bitter towards other people that God might work in you to bring a little bit more of your life to look like his righteousness, so that you might be a part of ushering in a little bit more of the kingdom of God in your life, in your family, in this community. Look at this last phrase. It says this. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. Now, you may not think that that's really uh, significant, but, but think about the, the image that he's painting, right? He says that um, Jesus is anointed. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of joy. Now, this is a really common practice. In fact, when we say Jesus is the Messiah, what we're actually literally saying in the Hebrew language is that Jesus is the anointed one. That he's the one that God has anointed to be the savior, to be the redeemer, to be the high priest, to be the good king, all these types of things. And, and in Jewish culture, um, they would anoint with two different types of oil because you know this, right? Oils come from a fruit, right? Now, you have, you have oil like you put in your car, but like, like agriculturally, they didn't, they didn't know that there was oil underneath them in the Middle East um, when they wrote the Bible, Right? Oil comes from a fruit, right? And in, in Jewish culture, there are two places that they'd predominantly get fruit and get oil and they would use. One would be grapeseed oil, and they would take grapeseeds after they um, you know, expunge the grape juice to make wine. They would take the grapeseeds and they would smash them together and they do this process to excrete the oil out of the grapeseed. The other place was olive oil, right? And they would take the oil and same kind of thing. They'd do this process to where they would, uh, they would extract the oil. The, it would be a fruit from the fruit, of the plant. But, but look, at, look at the image. It's kind of a weird picture. He says that he's anointed with oil of joy. Well, can you think in the Bible, can you think of a time when joy is described as a fruit? The fruit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It goes on, right? The fruit is joy. So I think part of the image that the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is not only that God is a God who is about creating and making righteousness, but that when he is about making things new and making things right, the spirit working in us, bringing about righteousness, it produces a fruit. It produces fruit, and one of those fruits is joy that it transforms what is dark and broken and ugly and painful, and it creates this fruit in joy. And that when we allow the Spirit to work in us, it produces a fruit in us of joy. And when we take that fruit that the Spirit has produced in us, the way he's transformed us, and when we offer it to God, maybe, you remember this other passage? It says this, when you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, when we offer our lives that it's like taking the fruit that God's produced in us and pulling out an oil that we pour over our king as an anointing oil of worship and celebration. That as God works and creates righteousness in us, it creates joy in us. And when we use that joy and we walk into a dark and broken world and we participate in him him bringing righteousness and healing to those places, it is like every time we do that, we're like the woman who takes the oil and pours it over her Savior and her King. And then every single time, We take the joy that God's created in us and we offer ourselves and our lives and all that we have to him. It is like again, we are taking an oil and pouring it over his head and say, he is my savior and he is my king and he is worthy of everything. So today, may we be that type of people. May we be a type of people who we allow God to work and do unpleasant and uncomfortable things in us because we know that the result of the Spirit of God working in us is joy. And we, may we be a people who don't hold the joy inside of us for ourselves, but who offer it as an offering, as a sacrifice to our King, that we get to be a part of bringing healing and restoration and life, the kingdom of God, to the place we live in. May we be so bold and be so courageous to walk in a broken world and invite and usher in holiness and righteousness and goodness and hope and life because of Jesus.